Dropout Podcasts. Hello and welcome back to Adventuring Academy. I'm your host, Brendan Lee Mulligan, here today with part two of our Escape from the Blood Keep Roundup show. I'm so excited to bring my special guests, Rekha Shankar, Mike Trapp, and Matthew Mercer! Guys, we're so excited to, uh, uh, after the, the finale of Escape from the Blood Keep, to sit here and talk shop about what transpired. I will say, very obviously, spoilers ahead. Ed, be very wary. Uh, there are plenty of spoilers coming down the track for Dimension 20's first side quest, Escape from the Blood Keep. Uh, all those episodes are out. So if you haven't watched it already, uh, what's the holdup, pal? Get on that. Um, but if you haven't watched it yet, make sure to avoid listening to this episode of Adventuring Academy. Uh, guys, how y'all doing this morning? Feeling Good. great. Happy to be here. Yeah. Yeah. Hell yeah. Um, so Adventuring Academy is a podcast where, generally speaking, we talk about the ins and outs of like running a tabletop game and how to be a good player, yada, yada. This and is- half of the cast today has no idea how to <laughs> speak to any of that. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is actually a topic I wanted to start on because I feel like if we put Trap and Reka on one end of a seesaw and just Matt by himself yeah. on the other, you've got a median amount of D&D play experience there, actually. Yeah. Uh, and I think watching the show, you guys all played together effortlessly. Yeah, like, you could not tell. Yeah, I don't think there was any way Even to tell. Even when I asked what the rules were? <laughs> cool. <laughs> uh, now, which one is the D? And uh, <laughs> why are there why are these numbers in the 60s, 40s? <laughs> when is this? Uh, so I wanted to talk a little bit about that. Uh, uh, for a number of reasons, um, uh, I wanted to talk about... Uh, that playing at that table, uh, playing a game that I think is probably both for reasons of having a comedic tone to it, and then for reasons of being in this intense timeline, is a little bit a uh, irregular for a D and D campaign. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but then also being at a table where everyone. I don't think I'm saying anything shocking or controversial when I say the chemistry at that table was bananas. Oh, yeah. It was so much fun. And uh, uh, I think for the fact that there were such radical levels of experience difference with the game, the actual chemistry of the story and the show, and even, honestly, the mechanical elements of the game was pretty seamless. what do you? What was it like for you guys to play across that experience divide? And uh, what were the parts that were like maybe for newer players like more challenging or exciting? And then what was the stuff that felt like oh this is just we're flying we're having a ball? Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I mean for me I guess like it's like the 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 like the role playing episodes I was sort of like I felt pretty comfortable with that because I was like this is this is just improv basically and I'm familiar with improv like I can kind of like feel this out throw chuck a couple one-liners in mm-hmm. there you know like it's like this this feels okay to me and like this i was like you can like, i have a nervous tick where i like i fiddle with my sideburns and if you watch the um if you watch any episode during any combat episode i'm just like <laughs> <Play it. laughs> 
<laughs> it's, it's insane because like the combat was where I was like, all right, what the? Like, I don't want to do something stupid that people are gonna be like, why the fuck did he do that? But like, so I'm just like, I'm looking uh, constantly like flipping through. It's like, do I have anything here? Okay, what are the what are my special abilities? What are this? Like the combat was where I was just like, I don't know. I I'll figure it out. I gotta pick something to do. Well, uh, what I love for this too is just knowing Reka and Mike as we work together very, uh, knowing them very well because we work together. That it's so funny to see your guys' personalities manifest. You guys got thrown into playing 14th level characters. Yes. A level of play that some people truly never get to. <laughs> nope. I've never played a 14th level character, and I've been playing this game since I was 10 years uh, old. Well, yeah. Brennan, I have, and I've been playing it <laughs> since two months ago, so catch up. <laughs> um, but what I love, personality-wise, is that I could see you guys try because I think it's it's a very Mike Trap thing to be thrown into a 14th level character and being like, okay, I'm unfamiliar with this system, and I'm playing a character that normally you would have years of slowly ramping up to become familiar with. Yeah. It's still on me to find the optimal move. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. I yeah. feel no lessening of pressure to do the perfect move, which let's be clear in D and D isn't even a thing. Yeah. Right. <laughs> For sure. Uh, yeah. No. Uh, the, 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 but that is true because I, I also like I, I also like intentionally I would normally probably uh, would have veered towards some kind of like magic. Uh, casting class uh, uh, just because I think magic is cool as hell and it's a thing that I cannot do in the real world and so it's like yes give me a chance to do and then like even even like watching say like Fantasy High and seeing like um, uh, seeing like Siobhan have to manage the spells and it's like oh no I I I would I would struggle with that at level one and like coming at level fourteen. Seeing like seeing Amy with her stack of fucking right. clearing spells, she was just like, all right, I gotta cast something like a blackjack dealer. It's like it's, just, it's like I yeah I can't I would not I would you'd be like trap. What do you want to do? And I would be like, hold on, I'm on chapter two. You know, uh-huh. <laughs> jeez, yeah, no kidding. Um, there's a tremendous yeah, so there's a tremendous amount of pressure. Um, but I do love that the like. Even in you guys searching for stuff, there was, I, was, I think Amy talked about it a little bit last week too. It's, first of all, uh, Trap, there's a literal, one of your lines from the show is the subtitle of this beautiful portrait. We have this, there's an artist online uh, whose tag is, I think, Laser Lazuli. I think this person's name is Lucas. They're an incredible artist. Yeah, that stuff's mm-hmm. good. Um, uh, uh, and one of the things is all six of our vile villains facing the lava mog, and the, Lucas subtitled it A Waste of a Turn. Yeah, yeah. 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 That's very funny. <laughs> very funny. After Trap being like, this is probably a waste of a turn. You mentioned something about a lava mog, and I'm sitting there going, <laughs> Actually, never mind. <laughs> I attack. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and there were also multiple moments, too, Reiko, where you would, you would kind of, Amy kind of like lovingly called you out in the last episode of, uh, of like multiple turns in combat. You would do something, and the way Amy characterized it was like, was like, um, Reiko would be like, um, would it be okay if I did something awesome. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, to that point, too, I think that's that's one of the great things about having a range of experience at the table. People who have played these games for a very long time often sometimes just fall into a comfortable place of what the expected rule system seems to lay out for you or what, what they've you know come to know as the, the go-to, the standard way of playing. When you bring in players that aren't as experienced with role-playing games, they tend to be initially a little more outside of the box thinking. Uh, you know, and older players have to kind of 
put themselves in that space occasionally to get more creative if they've been doing this for a long time. So one of my favorite experiences is seeing new players come to the table and challenge the more experienced ones going, Oh, that's right. I can be weird in this game. <laughs> yeah. I'll have yeah. to just you know do the optimal spell attack and be super efficient at my turns. I can get strange and creative and you know balloon chain jump off of uh, <laughs> the top of a lava cavern <laughs> as a barbarian. I can do. That was one of the coolest moments I've experienced in a game in a long time, both as a player or as a DM. And that was your first game. So like that's a perfect example of why no matter how much experience you have, it doesn't matter if you have people at the table that are like working together to have fun and are in the moment like it's cool shit like that's gonna happen yeah I know they've said like uh, someone was listening uh, to something that was talking about um, like professional poker players and they mm -hmm. were talking about how um, they're like oh the 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 easiest uh, the easiest competition is people who've been playing poker for like five years or like ten years and it's like people who are like They've gotten the rules. They've like, you know, like they 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 know the strategies and everything, and, and they just kind of like play to that. And like the hardest players are people who've been playing for one day, and people have been playing for like fifty years. Yeah. <laughs> it's like it's like it's that element of like complete what unpredictability. Yeah. That's just like yeah, when you're like playing against a player, it's like I don't know what your strategy is because you don't have one, yeah. and I don't know how to that's deal exactly with exactly yeah. how I play chess. Yeah, <laughs> like, I've heard, I've heard that life, with chess. Yeah, I've played like maybe twenty matches of chess in my life, mm -hmm. and most of them have been against really really talented talented, experienced chess players. Yeah. The first few I was actually trying and got just stomped, and so I just started just randomly doing stuff, and even if I don't win, I win, because yeah. they're, they're like done with life for the next three days after that. They're like, you ruined me! Yeah. Thanks! Yeah. There's also but you won! Did I? Yeah. There's also something, they don't have time to think of strategy if you're just like, yeah, and yep. you're like, why would you move your pawn she, there? She's telling something. Yeah, she, she, she sees then, something that yeah. I don't see. You're like, no, I don't. Yep. <laughs> I'm dumb. Uh, no, but I think that's so true. It's a very good observation. I definitely fall into the same trap with the idea of like. Um, when I make a PC on the occasions where I do get to play, like uh, I made a character for Murph and Emily's uh, and, and Jake and Caldwell's D&D uh, uh, &D podcast, uh, uh, and I broke it to be, I stretched it to the limit mechanics wise of like how much is the most damage I can do. So you better believe every turn that came along, I'm going to display my expertise of the rule system and try to pull off the trick that I've learned how to do mechanically. Mm -hmm. But exactly what you're saying, it puts you down the path of if you try to beat the game at its own rules, you're actually still going according to the game's rules. You're still in this kind of funnel that the game has provided for you versus doing something like truly out of the box, right? Yeah. Um, which is, I think, so, so, so fun. I, was, it, I think it was helpful for me coming into this, like watching Fantasy High, uh, because, uh, because it was a, a thing where it was like, oh, the combat episodes that I enjoyed the most are the ones where things went like, <gasps> And for dropout subscribers, you'll know exactly why we scream. I'm this is part of the premium service that you get. If you're watching the video, you'll know why we're screaming. I'm not going to lie. Alphonse has attacked in almost every adventuring academy we've ever had. Alphonse wants to play. Um, uh, but uh, but yeah, the the combat episodes that I enjoyed the most are the ones were the ones that weren't just sort of like step forward clang step forward clang it was the ones that, like honestly like the most fun times were the were the, the moments where someone did something that was not even just like oh that wasn't optimal but it's like that was like 
bad. You know, like you, you like you chose to like stab yourself, or yeah. like you chose to like you know uh, like jump off a building or something like that. That's like, right. oh, this is probably going to end poorly. But it's like. But like, what a swing! Cool. Yep. <laughs> yeah, uh, I want to talk about that too because we had on the one hand, like, you guys were playing this for the first time, and I think even during the combats, like it's hard to to argue that anything was more effective than the balloon elf jump <laughs> or the summoning of the lava mog, both of which mm-hmm. were these awesome role play moves, which were really great. Um, I want to talk to, to Matt because Leland had an incredible arc in this journey, <laughs> and I want to talk about the degree to which the dice. Conspire to tell a story. You were the victim of some truly catastrophic roles in this Didn't game. Didn't you roll two nat ones? I did. I did. And, and I, I can say on one hand, on both hands, it couldn't have been a better gift to the story. Uh, as a person who doesn't get to play very often, there, there's a level of like, oh man, I finally get to engage and like do some cool things. And I'm so thankful in hindsight that it did not let me <laughs> continuously the entirety of this because it, like there are things that I had planned for the character in my head of like you know it'd be cool to like pursue this arc and you know kind of have a you know a redemption or a, a, a climb to try and you know retake his power and I. It worked even better that even the world was like, nah, buddy, you're you're not you're not. <laughs> this isn't your time. Yeah. If it'll ever be your time, because it allowed him to, to instead lean on the rest of the group to kind of carry him and lift him up. And I don't know. It it's a perfect example of the dice working perfectly for the narrative. Like that's why these games are so great. Is you could write a story, and that's great. You could choose all the plot points, and you can sit around and decide what is the right way for the for the story to go and these character arcs to go. The the addition of dice, the 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 random aspects to it, the the both the unknowing of where it's going to go and the unexpected path that it takes you on after the fact creates in some ways some of the more rich, surprising, and unique elements of the narrative that none of, nobody could have planned for. And so, uh, yeah, I couldn't roll for shit. <laughs> like that entire, I, had, I had one good opening round, and I was like, all right, establish Leland. And I didn't realize that was probably going to be it for the rest of the entire story. <laughs> well, it was so heartbreaking for me because I also, ju- having just played for the first time in a long time, I suddenly was in the player's seat going like, oh my God, I, I care whether my roles are good or not. Because when you're DMing, I don't care if my villains win or lose. Like, mm-hmm. if they win, cool. That takes a narrative turn. If they lose, there's total emotional detachment as long as the encounter's good. When you're, you're a cruel pe- god, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like, well, there literally is an attitude when you're DMing of like, the house wins eventually. Right. If you take this hand, that's fine. I got. You think my my chest of villains gets empty? It doesn't. Mm-hmm. You know, like. Um, but being a player, you're suddenly like, no, I wanted that to work. <laughs> yeah. And it's so hard. I felt so, it was so heartbreaking. But there were so many funny things all throughout because um, there was, a, there was a, a really fascinating thing. Uh, we started to establish Leland as this wily coyote figure. <laughs> straight up. Straight up. I mean, the, <laughs> like, I would say that at the end of the day, if you said which fictional character informed Leland more, the witch king of Angmar, or Wiley Coyote. Yeah. You might have to go Wiley Coyote. Wiley Coyote. Very yeah. much so. Here's the 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 extra uh, like fun thing about that though too is that we we played um, we played one round not on camera just to sort of like get used to playing yeah. with, with each other and uh, and and like feel for for us at least feel out the mechanics and things and um, even.
even in that game, there was an element of this of, of like Leland is like extremely like formidable looking yes. and extremely terrifying, but getting constantly clowned on. Yeah. And and it was like we we wrapped up that that session. I was like, that was a really like funny game that that happened. But it's like, but that's like totally dependent on the dice. Yeah. It's like mm-hmm. it's a shame we're never gonna see that again. And, and it was like, and nope, that, no, yeah, <laughs> totally. I feel like in your original character pitch too, we had said, oh, it's kind of like a Mr. Smithers vibe, <laughs> yeah. and you were like Mr. Smithers d- to the nth degree yeah, of yeah, just yeah. like, <laughs> like uh, just lameness and like entirely. And, and I, uh, for me, as a player, those first few roles that I missed, you know, there's that part in your brain of like, oh, I had this cool thing I planned in my head. I want to try and you know be as cool as the rest of my group and this epic battlefield that's been constructed by a bunch of talented artisans. Like, so much effort has gone into this. It would be a shame if I can't do anything. (laughs) And by the third terrible role, I'm like, no. (laughs) This is a gift. (laughs) (laughs) And it got to the point where I was like, yeah, it'd be, it'd be fun to do something cool, but the later in the story it got, the more I began to really hope it was just a <laughs> continuous streak of bad luck. And when it happened, I was like, ugh. It was so beautiful. Well, in the in the session zero, we had I remember two rounds back to back. Just just to give people a little behind the curtains, it's something that we don't we don't film because we're just getting our like sea legs under us. There was one round in that battle. You guys were fighting in Karadkar. It was like a prequel game. Uh, there was one round where Leland had his. Warlock's curse. He's like Hexblade's curse on somebody. It was like, you shall face the force of my. And uh, Maggie was like, wee! And smacks that person out of the air. And so Leland goes like, all right, you shall face that. And Soakbar's like, raw! And eats that person. He's like, okay. And then you shall. And the person dies. And it's like, you ran out of a time, like actions to be able to change it with. And so it just went, boom! Like, like, lost it. All right, fine, great. Uh, good job, everyone. Just... And, and, and then literally establishing in a session zero, there was like, we had some. Like dwarven paladin come out of the depths and Leland finger of death them and killed them. One hit killed them, and everyone was looking the other direction. Yep. <laughs> and even that got established. Uh, perfect. <laughs> I want to mention something that is just the dumbest stroke of weird good luck. So so uh, in designing encounters, I always like to, especially because we have these incredible artists. Uh, you know, we have Rick Perry and his whole team, Sabrina and Maxie and Shane and Nate, like uh, making these in- incredible. Uh, sets. Um, I always want the encounters to feel really dynamic and never like a puzzle with a single solution, but more like a very vibrant ecosystem where yeah. it's like, hey, there's chains, the bridges are rickety, there's a lot of different enemies, it's very alive. I've made it so complex that I don't know the solution for it, which means that you guys have the ability to be creative. So when I was designing the the, uh, the scary volcano, um, <laughs> Uh, I was like, cool. The main enemies are going to be Kasara, Telmir, these elves, the eagles that fly in, uh, a Stalker. Those are the main enemies. And I was like, I'm going to put two halflings in there. And the halflings, and also I was like, the halflings aren't even the real primary objective of the vile <laughs> villains. It's just the it's just the anvil is really what they need. I was like, so I'll put the halflings in there. And I went, but the halflings are such an emotional thing. I know they're going to go after them. So I'm going to make it this like. 
You know this old, this is a bizarre tangent my mind went to. You know those old Crash Bandicoot games where there's a chicken running around and yeah. you try to catch the chicken and you can't catch it? Yeah. But it's like, so it's a little side quest and you have, you have to get it with a rocket launcher. It's the only way you can get the chicken. But the whole point of the chicken is you can't catch it, but it doesn't matter. It's a side quest. So in that battle, Galfast Hamhead was like, oh, if I give her the stats and fighting capability of a storm giant, <laughs> wildly the most powerful enemy on the battlefield. <laughs> That's okay because all she's trying to do is leave. Like she, in other words, like, <laughs> so I was like, we can make her so overpowered and then the, and then the, the, you know, all she's trying to do is get away. And this moment, Matt, you were like, I see Galvast Hamhead. In my head, I was like, oh no, <laughs> because I already knew. I was like, you are not ready for this frying pan wielding halfling. So that's an interesting thing is that, I, is that Galfast was, was not made that broken as a reaction to Leland. Mm -hmm. yeah. She was that broken because it was a a joke. She was like literally a joke buried within the thing of like a person that is a C a C list objective in this larger mm -hmm. battlefield is the most terrifying <laughs> combatant that's here. Well, I mean, I guess like one one uh, like a nice thing about about you know, these kinds of games and this this kind of storytelling is like my favorite thing in the world in like when if I'm like watching a movie or something is when something that gets played off as a joke in the first act becomes an, ex an incredibly important plot point by the third act mm -hmm. because it is like it's the perfect way to foreshadow something because people will just dismiss jokes as it's like okay you just said that because it was funny and I don't need to think about it so when it does actually become important it's like holy shit you did tell me that was important and I ignored you mm -hmm. <laughs> it wasn't this is literally uh, season one of Dimension 20 in Fantasy High spoilers yeah. for Fantasy High yeah. but literally the, the, the professor yeah. gives a very Dumbledore-esque speech at the beginning of the high school where he's like sipping tea and goes like, this tea is quite bad. And then goes like, remember always the greatest magic of all is chronomancy. And it's like supposed to be a dumb throwaway thing. But at the end, it's, it's a giant chronomantic <laughs> spell that like saves the day. Yeah. Uh, uh, totally. So yeah, the, the foreshadowing of a joke. And that was definitely <laughs> Galfast in that thing. I also just wanted to shout out my Samwise XP because Samwise is the hero of Lord of the Rings. Oh, straight up. Straight up. He's the only one with a fucking job. Um, there's <laughs> there's, I just like that there's only one blue collar person in mm -hmm. all of Lord of the Rings. Yeah. It's like all these kings and princes. Even the other three hobbits are like landed gentry, like kind of country squires. They're like True. the people in LA who are like, what is your job? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You, you're always available at like noon. What's going on? <laughs> yeah. Sam, we're all going to go get brunch. You want to come? What the yeah. fuck? It's Tuesday. <laughs> yeah, I love yeah. No. <laughs> You're not so that's a no from you. Yeah, that's a so big no. You're going to piddle around your little garden. No, I have a fucking job. Oh, I see ya. <laughs> yeah, like, oh, Samwise, Mary and Pippin and I are going to the Green Dragon to get <laughs> some bottomless mimosas. I feel like you're always there. <laughs> <laughs> right, well, I'll be tending your garden, sir. That is my job. I know that we I've get got a job, too. I'm still working on that screenplay, yeah. okay? <laughs> and, and how far are you? I, you know, I, I'm. Uh, the first act is looking pretty good. Good. The first act. <laughs> I'm working on two there, two back again. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't apologize for that joke. Um, let's move on to audience questions. <laughs> um, 
This is what we're going to do some repeat questions from last time uh, because uh, there's there's some really good ones here that I would love to get our friends' uh, thoughts on. Also, we get all of our questions from the Dropout exclusive Discord server. Um, if you're listening to this on iTunes or you're watching this on YouTube, um, you could have gotten this so much earlier if you subscribed to Dropout and you can submit questions there. You gotta subscribe to Dropout. Um, this first one is from our friend. Uh, Bowerbird, thanks, Bowerbird. Um, kudos to everyone for building and playing such compelling evil characters. Any thoughts or tips on doing that well? Um, I, uh, it's it's an interesting thing because I've also seen some people like arguing being like they weren't super evil. Um, but but what, what I think like made it made it like feel okay for me was because we were doing a comedy game that it was like well. We're we are evil characters in that we have labeled ourselves as evil, mm -hmm. but then because we are we have taken it for a given that we are evil, yes. that means that the funniest possible thing you can do is doing non-evil things like like the Monarch and Venture Brothers or something like that. You right. know, it's like it's a thing of like cool. You've already established that you're a villain, so the funniest thing you possibly do is like drinking tea, having like a tea set <laughs> back yeah. back of your thing, or like or just like loving your best little boy Jeremy. Like yeah. those things. It's like oh well. That contrast is what stands out. So, it, like almost like the the for me at least like being the it was just kind of a little bit of a cheat just being like, well, you're evil because you are evil, and we're we our backstory is evil, but your actions day to day are yeah. And in theory too, we're destroying characters that are good. Yeah. Uh, and like Kasara and all these people that are like ostensibly good that we don't know necessarily the good things they have done, but. We kill them, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, evil is it's a relative definition. Just yeah, by, evil by people nature don't think they're evil. <laughs> Most don't. A few are like, no, I'm evil and I embrace it. But but in those contexts too, and, and to the second part of the question, when you're creating or want to play an evil game or play an evil character, you have to really think about what makes them evil. Are they aware or consider themselves evil, and and acknowledge that. Modern media, because we always see stories from the perspective of the protagonists, a lot of times evil characters are portrayed relatively one-dimensionally, and you don't consider that even an evil person has their insecurities, their wants, their desires, their struggles. They just lack a morality and tend to be very selfish in, in the ways that they want to achieve their goals. And primarily, in the way that evil is relative, you can label something evil if their goal is against yours, and they tend to do things that you would never do. Right. You know, that's yeah. evil, because you're willing to kill people for your goal. Yes. And I agree with that. Killing people is bad. Um, but you know, consider those aspects. An evil character doesn't have to be like, well, I murder everyone because I'm evil. Yeah. Someone talks to me bad, I cut him. Like, no, maybe. Right. Jeffrey Dahmer didn't eat every single person he ever met in his right. whole life. He was chilled some of the time. Like, right. And I think when people play evil characters, we're used to seeing very like this is like I think a trope of young edge lord teen Straight boys <laughs> that are playing Indy for the first time is they'll play chaotic evil and literally start killing everybody. Yeah. And you go like, if this is what this person's personality, how were they even free and unarrested at the beginning of this campaign? <laughs> like yeah. it raises so many questions about like like whatever your behavior is for any character it should make sense that that behavior is sustainable and has been sustainable to allow them to be at the point they even start the game at and as an improv tenant it's very hard to be a blanket mean person in scenes and things like that because it is just kind of like a 
compassless sort of behavior where it's like, what makes you mean? What makes you nice? What makes you angry? So if you're doing all like one blanket emotion, Mm -hmm. that's very difficult to perform in a fun way, especially. And I think too, comedically, like again, your campaign's pretense was what the bad guys should have won. Yeah. Uh, Why didn't they? It's because they're bumbling idiots, right? (laughs) And part of being a bumbling idiot, evil person is perhaps you know, oh, but my good boy, Jerry, yeah. you know, <laughs> those little like distractions that they, they get down. Well, I think there's two things here, because I think there's there's an answer to this question of playing an evil character in a straight campaign, in a non-community mm-hmm. campaign, which I think is a very different set of criteria. I'll talk about the comedy of this campaign real quick, because I think there's actually an interesting element to, on an academic level, um, uh, why the joke works. And I think I mentioned this before, uh, that I compare this a lot to The Addams Family, Mm. where it is like, that house is full of guillotines. It's heavily implied that those guys murder each other, Mm -hmm. but they would never be mean to each other. And... The reason that joke works is there's this line we all have in our head. It's a fuzzy line. It's a line that people might draw slightly differently or further away or closer based on their personal taste. But there is a line beyond which we go, this act of evil is so monstrous that it's become cartoonish. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Where you have Ipskicks dancing around in like torture gear and you have like howls of people like, oh, let's use necromancy to send, reanimate the rats inside of people. Yeah. Everyone knows that that is beyond the pale of day-to-day villainy, and then on the other side of that line, we suddenly, even though it's fuzzy, we pretty quickly fade into The Office, into workplace comedy. And I think every one of the six improvisers at that table really locked into that right away, Mm -hmm. of like, uh, I can only do evil things if they are the type of evil that truly corresponds to Lord of the Rings level malevolence. Right. And then past that, anything that becomes interpersonal, mundane, or day-to-day, I'm a pretty chill person to be around. Yeah. I, will, I will say one of the, I think one of uh, like my favorite, like, I would be like, oh, that was like an evil move, was from Reka uh, um, uh, pushing Avanash into the lava. Because, and it, was, and, it was, and it was shocking for me, because I was still in that mode of like, like, like we gotta optimize every move. We gotta like make sure like we're not like it's like if something's valuable, we want to keep a hold of it. Like we don't want to like. And so like in my mind, it was still like it's like okay, Avanash, all right, he's fucking crazy and he, and he fucked us over. But like if we need another crown, if we need a thing, like we gotta keep this dude around. And Rick is immediately just like fuck this guy. This guy fucked us over. And push. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, it's like oh, it's, you know what? That's evil. Yeah. You know, Here's like, something <laughs> evil. I don't remember doing. It. <laughs> I literally don't remember what you're talking. I think about. it was. I think it was. A, I think it was a, it, that was a Maggie. Marcus collabo. Ah, okay. But you were like, I'm gonna, and then if he finished the sentence, like, okay. push him in the lava? Yeah. yeah, let's push him in the lava. Cool, great. Um, uh, um, I, to add to that, just in storytelling, like, I forget what the exact phrase is, but like, something like cost of death. Like, mm-hmm. I grew up watching a ton of cartoons, and it's like, oh, on SpongeBob SquarePants, when he falls out of a building and splats under the ground, we're never like, oh no, 
what happened? Because you get that that is normal in that world, but if someone were to slap him in the face, you're like, whoa, that yeah. feels really out yeah. of tone with this show. Even though falling out of a building is much worse. It's so funny to me imagine a dramatic scene of SpongeBob or something. It's like, it's like, you have wronged me, you have wronged my family. My mother, Squidward my walks sister, my yeah. mother. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, Squidward, why? You can watch Daffy Duck get shot in the face yeah. and his bill spin around yeah. his head but if Elmer Fudd ever just went fuck you yeah. Yeah. he'd be like whoa or like yeah. you're worthless yeah. Yeah. yeah you're worthless yeah. you're fucking worthless you should fucking yeah, like, where's your family Daffy you think yeah, you're so funny Daffy Duck well here's the thing you're not no one's fucking laughing <laughs> uh God, someone please animate that. Um, <laughs> oh God. Daffy just goes home and just kind of sits, stares at the wall for a while. It's like, oh, God. am I not funny? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I think that I think that there was a interior emotional comedic logic to where you guys were evil and where you were good. And I think we actually hugged that pretty closely, and and it made and everyone intuitively gets the logic where they're like, oh, it's insane for someone that's animated by the powers of undeath or who like loves to be like bitten and poisoned by the ant monsters around them to like be this caring and devoted to their friends. Mm -hmm. But but that logic is the joke. Like jokes are fundamentally A and B don't match, but yet somehow they're together, mm -hmm. you know? Um, I, I think I also like to, to kind of knit uh, what uh, some things that both of you said are they're like a lot of it kind of comes down to that like why because um, like you know if someone just uh, you're, you're talking like can't just like play an emotion because like, that's not really a character yeah um, but like it, like when we were talking like character creation like it was fun for me to kind of go like okay like we know a lot of these tropes of like who these evil people are but like let's like take a moment to sort of be like all right if you are the kind of if you are like the the person who runs the warg pits if you are like uh just sort of like the every if you're like the what you know who the people who are popping this world like take a moment to be like well what why are you here? And like, yeah. what is it that's driving you? And like, that can lead you to like interesting places. And then you have that like logical grounding to keep you Yes, going. what makes you, because like blue doesn't show up on blue, right? Evil doesn't show up on an evil backdrop necessarily. But like, what makes you evil as opposed to what makes you, like I'm sure Soak Bar would be way more evil to someone that was harming a creature yeah. than someone who was harming a person. Yeah. And we you see know? that with, with all of the great backstories that you guys picked in each of them, like Maggie's uh, wonderful like, arc that was set up from the beginning of someone who's like living in the shadows of other people mm -hmm. and fucking also by the way quick thing uh reka and i decided ahead of time oh yes or, or rather reka decided ahead of time and informed me my character's pregnant and amy vorpal straight up guessed it's like so crazy a woman's intuition is just like <laughs> so beautiful you're glowing <laughs> no you're literally <laughs> glowing <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Um, but bo both Maggie's arc and then what was set up for Soakbar as this like evil Hagrid uh, and then for Leland as well if like someone who's like deeply insecure like which all of these are picked as like to me the funniest ways to tackle that like yeah. what is the what is the attribute that we never see these characters have mm -hmm. someone's like demon courtesan like partner like the love interest of the Dark Lord you never see her being like yeah I'm figuring my shit out <laughs> you never see evil Hagrid be like there's a complex ecosystem <laughs> <laughs> and you never see the Witch King of Angmar's whole deal is his confidence is unshakable. Yeah. But you're like, wait a minute, no, you don't be 
someone's second in command for hundreds of years and not develop a weird uh-huh. devotion complex. Mm-hmm. Uh, so all of it felt so fun. Um, uh, cool. Um, I'm going to go ahead. Uh, uh, let's talk about this for a second. Um, this question is from uh, Catanation. Thank you, Catanation. How does the high level of the PCs change affect how you plan encounters, if it does at all? Well, uh, uh, so this is a fun one in terms of, we all started at 14th level, you guys all needed to be super badasses. Um, the, the only advice I feel like I can give for like super high level play is like, throw everything at them. They're gonna be fine. <laughs> they're, they're gonna survive. Um, I think about like the, um, uh, the final battle, which was you guys were all supposed to do player versus player. Oops. Mm-hmm. Oops. Sorry. Sorry, uh, sorry I had a baby. <laughs> uh, it was supposed to be PvP. You guys spent all of episode five being like, I love nothing more than my friend. <laughs> and I was like, uh, I was like, how many of those goblin minis do we have? Um, so we threw a bunch of those at you. Um, uh, I will say planning high-level encounters is just about making them hyper-deadly. Every single battle had instant kill mechanics in it. It was the falling out of the sky, although even we learned falling out of the sky is not lethal for characters <laughs> of that high a level. Um, uh, and then the final battle was supposed to be very, very intense um, with all the stuff crumbling away. Uh, I think it's just about like for high-level play, making it as deadly as possible. For you guys, uh, uh, is there anything that changes about how you play? I guess Matt for playing like high level versus low level, uh, and then for you guys, or was there anything challenging about coming in with a character with that many powers and abilities? Um, I d- definitely just needed to ask a lot of questions. I mean, Maggie's thing was just hitting, so that was pretty easy. Um, but uh, yeah, just having to ask a lot of questions because there were certain things I didn't quite understand uh, regarding roles I had or or like different paths like path of the berserker and all these things that I could have taken or did take or whatever that were a little confusing as a brand new player Mm -hmm. um yeah but other than that for being a barbarian it wasn't as bad as if I had had like spells and things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think there's also some very fun intuitive stuff about barbarians. Yes. I feel like it's very fun to have your main ability be, I have 220 hit points. Yes, <laughs> that, I mean, what a tremendous gift to a new player. Uh, when everyone like, was reporting their hit points, I was like, what the fuck? Because <laughs> yeah. I was like, it's a like level 14, it's like, ah, oh, that's a lot of points. Like I thought, I was like, oh, that's pretty high. And then Rake was like, I've got like three million. Yeah, <laughs> which I mean, truly, what a, truly what a gift to a new player to have that many hit points because I felt like I could take a lot of chances. Like even in that last uh, battle, like I was like, oh, it makes the most sense for me to run towards this big group of villains because like, I mean, you can try to kill me, yeah. right? Like, like uh, I'm very strong. I'm very it's, fucking strong. So that is great. Love yeah. that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. From a, from a standpoint of like high level versus low level, from a player standpoint, it, it, it's a lot more to, to worry about, but it also is a lot more options to to really mess with the DM's plans. Mm-hmm. And that's why as a DM, but as I understand as well, you have to throw everything at them. If you look at an encounter, you're like, this is probably a little too hard. You're, you're getting close. 
Yeah. It might still be too easy because one, you have a lot of players with a lot of abilities that you're having to constantly keep track of that they're always going to surprise you and you're going to forget things and be like, oh, right, you have that ability that does. You're eight, a cleric, yeah, right? <laughs> eight, eight D8 damage to everything in a 60 foot radius. Well, that was most of my encounter, yeah. so that's good round one, you know? Uh, and, and then on top of that, they, they do creative stuff you're not expecting as part of the challenge level that all of a sudden. You know, you reward their creativity, they roll really well, and, and half of your really deadly encounter is wiped yeah. out, and you're like, okay, well. It, it's absolutely true, and I think that there's an element to that as well of um, you, you are one person as the DM. Your players are, you know, three, four, five, six people who are all dedicated to one character and memorizing their abilities and making their turns as impactful as possible. Yeah. And the one X factor that will never be able to be included in the challenge rating system is you don't care about your NPCs as much as the players care about their PCs, mm. yes. both on an emotional level and a tactical level. Yes. You will not make optimal choices like the PCs will make. And so regardless of the math, you have to take that into account. Yeah. Um, and I think too, it's like, in terms of optimum moves, uh, I can't sit and think of the best move for every single goblin on the yeah. field. But all it takes is one person, and also coming back to, the, to Leland's incredible arc of moving, after that fucking kneeling to that little baby, the way the so dice cute. turned around in that final fight. I mean, Leland yeah. wrecked house <laughs> in that <laughs> final <laughs> fight. Nat 20 on the fucking the critical against the last enemy standing. And then, honestly, the most clutch move was that first opening cone of cold that wiped half the bad guys. Right. Just a huge, you know, AOE attack that just obliterated. And it's like that kind of stuff cannot be. Uh, uh, overstated, your PCs will find those moves and yeah. it will change the entire battlefield. And just anything we learned, it's that a baby can really change your life. Yeah. Really? Generally, yeah. So, so you, don't, you don't think you know, you think you like, but not until you're caring for another yeah. If you're on the fence about having one, definitely have tell one. You, more babies. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I interrupted you. No, no, no. I was just going to say, it's, it's uh, and then that's the degree. You have to plan for those things and even in as a DM, there's an aspect of watching this super deadly encounter that you've planned, and you're like, oh, this is going to be so intense, and then having your players decimate aspects that you aren't expecting. And on one hand, a little part of you is like, oh, man, I didn't think about that. I hope they're having fun with this. And the other hand, of course they're having fun. As a player, there's no cooler feeling than feeling like you outsmarted this imaginary you know, hive mind of villains that you're fighting. You're not thinking about, I outsmarted the DM necessarily, though in some games that is the case, I guess, <laughs> if you want to play that way. Um, and so as long as you're keeping it feeling tense and, and the danger is still there and the dice can still put it in a negative place, if the players are doing well and being creative and decimating some of the super hard encounter and they're having a great time, that's the purpose of playing these games in the first place. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And that, I think that's definitely something tr true that like players do, like uh, uh, as a DM sometimes I've, I've always been worried like, oh I don't wanna ever give anything to the PCs too easily. I want them to feel like they've earned it. Yeah. However, I will say every once in a while if your PCs just clean the fuck up, that also feels really good. When, PC, when it's just like, oh, I like one hit slam Kasara into the lava and she's gone, great. That feels great. <laughs> or, yeah. I, fe I felt very like, I'm like, I don't know how a normal game works, uh, uh, but like, because this was comedic, 
like I was like, oh, I felt like, and you were a comedian, Brennan, like I was given permission to do very, very stupid things, <laughs> uh, which I appreciated. I don't know if that's how normal campaigns work, but I really appreciated the permission to be, be a stupid idiot. <laughs> I think one, th one thing is that all of these games take place in worlds of fantasy. So the truth is that the physics of the world always changes a little bit mm -hmm. based on the laws of story. Mm -hmm. And this is something that we talked about uh, that when we had Marisha on Adventuring Academy, we talked about was the degree of um, uh, that these worlds that we play in are comedy worlds, which means it's full Roger Rabbit. If it's funny, I can get out of the handcuffs if it's funny. Yeah. Like, if it's funny, physics changes. But even in a high drama classic fantasy game, the same also holds true. Like, I am much more inclined in a classic high fantasy game to reset a DC based on narrative importance. Mm -hmm. Or, or to, you know, it's like someone's trying to do some ill advised bullshit like fuck with the city guard in a really dumb way I'm like oh you're gonna get fucking smacked Ooh. let's yeah. say uh, Emily wanted to go to the hospital and, and, <laughs> I and, love that so much <laughs> but uh, on the flip side someone could attempt the exact same like physical act and if it was occurring in a scene where they are like claiming revenge like Inigo Montoya you killed my father prepare to die I will reset DCs, I will grant advantage. Like, yeah. I think physics can change according to story, both for comedic purposes and for dramatic purposes. Yeah. That's Plus, if, if players have been engaged enough to lean into that narrative uh, momentum, and really bring some interesting ideas and some some really fun ways to tackle these challenges. You want to reward that type of ingenuity as well, and that's how you do so with like granting advantage on certain roles or you know adjusting the difficulty as it makes sense. You know, a guy who's a really you know like for instance, Christopher Guest's character in uh, in Princess Bride probably pretty hard to intimidate. Yeah. But given those specific circumstances, how many hits he had taken and the 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 intensity in which he drives it forward. Yeah, you're gonna lower that that DC for that intimidate check because <laughs> yeah. it makes sense. So, yeah, yeah. absolutely, a hundred percent agree. Um, uh, oh, I also wanted to as we we move into the next question, but I do want to circle back to something real quick, which is speaking of Christopher Guest's very villainous character, uh, uh, Count Rugen, uh, the Six Fingered Man. Um, I wanted to go back because we were talking about comedically playing evil characters, but I did want to actually talk for a second about. Uh, for our viewers at home that wanted to play evil characters in a straight campaign, mm -hmm. that I think there's a similar rule set. Like, we know that our vile villains were governed by the rules of comedy. And, like, we're sweet to each other in a mundane way, and then we're very cartoonishly villainous. Um, I think that there's a similar thing for playing evil characters in a dramatic setting, which is being really honest about how often actions are mundane and not perfectly evincing of someone's alignment. Like, even the most holy paladin in the world is still spending eight hours a day fucking sleeping. Yeah. Mm. And they're like, most of the time yeah, they're no just... One's, uh, no, even if you have an evil character, it's not like, aha, I will devour this hoagie in the most <laughs> insane, evil way possible. Yeah, sometimes you're just having a sandwich, <laughs> yeah. you know? Uh, and I think when you're playing evil characters, it's important to remember that all of the evil characters that I've had the most success playing were characters that um, uh, got along with the party because their evil was extremely understated and grounded in a way that it is, sadly, in real life. Mm -hmm. um, 
you're playing a lawful evil character, cool. That's someone, maybe that's someone who like wants tyranny in conquest. Tyranny in conquest doesn't mean you're slaughtering random people. You're probably working, most of your days are nonviolent. You're just like working diligently to have less freedom and opportunity in the world. Yeah. You know, uh, if you're chaotic evil, you may have gold. Like there's so many reasons to play a character who's evil that has a really cogent worldview. Um, you know, I've played lawful evil characters that were just like, there must be order at any cost. The people are a great beast. They need to be ruled with an iron fist. That's a political belief that very much exists in the real world. Mm. It's not cartoonish. Uh, it's very scary and real, right? Yeah. Um, similarly, with chaotic evil characters, I feel like you can have that vibe of like just having someone who's like, oh, this is a cutthroat world. The world is dog eat dog. I'm gonna get mine. And that is not outlandish, there are people like that. Yeah, cha um, chaotic leans heavily on just the selfish spectrum, regardless mm -hmm. of law. I mean, that's kind of the essence of it. Like, whatever it takes to achieve what I want, and some of the most chaotic, evil people I've known in life are cla you know, class A manipulators. Mm. Yeah. You know, they're not outwardly doing terrible things, like physically harming people or, you know, running folks off the road, but they're finding ways to manipulate other people and things around them to their benefit mm -hmm. and not caring how it affects other people. A hundred percent. I think that if you're making an evil character, especially if you're making an evil character that's going to be with a party of mixed alignment, you know, the idea like of playing an evil character that's like at odds with the party is uh, is kind of like, uh, it's just not gonna be that rewarding or fun. You can make a character that is like, oh yeah, I'm lawful evil, I'm like a warlock, I serve the you know the Lord of the Nine Hells, but obviously this dragon situation can't stand. Let's go take care of this. I'm very happy to work with you guys. I think you'll find that me and the Church of the Nine Hells to be very reasonable. And like, you know, and similar with the chaotic evil character, if it's like, because here's the thing, most adventurers are like, look, we we have to stop this evil thing, and we are gonna kill some people and get treasure along the way to help <laughs> do this good thing. Chaotic evil's person's like, yeah, kill people and get treasure, I'm in. Mm -hmm. It's not, that, it's not that much of a stretch yeah. uh, uh, to make a character that has that alignment but still has reason to work with people. Yeah, yeah. and and consider too from other from the other players, if you're playing good characters in a campaign alongside an evil character, you know, once you realize that is the situation, that doesn't mean you have to ostracize them. You know, consider for that character: do, are, do you want to now reach out to this character and try and change their worldview? Do you try and understand where they're coming from and 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 really just be okay with us having mutual goals? Mm -hmm. You know, and we don't dabble in each other's you know morality. Right, and if the player uh, like. If the player is playing the evil character in a way where they are more grounded, like if a person's playing a, a just slaughtering like bad guy, that's that you can't deal with. Yeah. But <laughs> it, that's impossible. But if someone's playing a very grounded evil character, I think think of all the ways. Yeah, would you try to redeem them? Would you know right away? Would you make a terrible bargain where you're like, we need their help for right now? Yeah. Or would you do what a lot of people do when they're like, yeah, so and so is a warlock of the nine hells, but he's never been weird to me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> very real. Yeah. Very very real. Yep. Yeah, so he's a world. I've, I've seen him at comedy clubs. He's never been mean to me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> this is People maybe, always saying he's raising the dead, and I've never I've seen never that. I've never seen it. He's, <laughs> it's crazy. Um, uh, this is maybe a weird example, but like, uh, Maggie's Maggie like hated Leland for most of this campaign, and I think that they fought a lot. It was truly only in the break in between um, two two of our episodes where I heard you say like, I don't know why Leland would have any reason to carry on, and yeah. I was like, oh. 
I don't need to be blanket mean to this person, uh, to this character, or Maggie doesn't need to be blanket mean. There can be an evolution, because as a new player and doing a one shot, Mm -hmm. it's like, oh, there can be an evolution to this. So I don't need to be evil and mean to Matt's character. I can like change that and we'll see what happens. Because I was fully going to name that baby John Feathers. Which I think was expected. <laughs> that's so funny because like, at, at that break I was uh, the way things were going yeah. both just narratively with the dice and his yeah like it lost his the, the the person he was devoted to this entire time and had been completely kind of gaslit into believing was the only good ruler that anyone could you know find tenable um, to failing at everything he's ever set out to do to in in trying to salvage that idea murder one of his other brethren yes like he was just in the super super dark place and then at the end of it all had nothing but despair I was like he's probably gonna leave and I was curious to see where that path would go like in in breaking the group a bit and I, you know, I always hate splitting the party but I knew like you're 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 comfortable DM you have experience like you can handle it and I was curious to see where that path would go and that change completely like shifted him back on track in a way I wasn't expecting and I was like me oh, this either is, this is interesting <laughs> well it was really be- I mean like all credit to you guys because like with with Leland, first of all, like that falling out of the sky, everyone's like realizations and catharsis was so powerful. And just love that there's a bunch of memes circulating right now of um, that bit from John Mulaney's stand up act where he goes, mm-hmm. like, this might as well happen, but they have Leland's face on there, <laughs> which is very fun. fun. Like, this yeah. could, just him coming out of the ship. But I think. Rekha, that was such a powerful story move, and it was so fun and cool to a just like go into labor, falling out of the fucking sky, <laughs> I know, that was I, and and doing nothing was an option. Um, yeah. But then to to have the child and name it Leland Junior. because it made this beautiful relate like Maggie and Leland's arc of like becoming. Uh, friends and like co-conspirators and like coming out the other side of both of them being in a bad relationship with the same guy sure. mm-hmm. uh, was so touching and beautiful. Um, uh, I I loved little Leland Jr. And then of course you're you know kneeling to a baby, <laughs> which is that's a great bit. <laughs> it's it's just a great. I shall make sure funny. all the furniture of the blood keep is padded. <laughs> <laughs> all the outlets are plugged. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <The plastic> things. <laughs> Um, um, I love it. Uh, we'll do we'll do one uh, maybe like one little last last question here, uh, and we'll, I'll open this up too. This is from Rain Solo. We'll do rapid fire one word answers for you. One word answers. <laughs> okay. um, Great. Uh, who, this is uh, Rain Solo. Uh, who is slash was your favorite NPC and why? I'll also just I'll alter this myself a little bit and see like what's like our like a favorite moment from the six episodes. Sure. Uh, that we really dig. I mean. Gonna have to be Avidash for me. (laughs) Mainly just because, like, there is there's one there's one specific moment, which was um, uh, after Iffy was like was like, hey, explain how to make a crown, and and it's like, okay, like. I know how sketch works. I know how improv works. I know Brennan knows how sketch and improv works. You got three steps into making that, and I was like, 
there's gonna be three more steps and there's gonna be some fucking bones. <laughs> and like, it's like, I know this is coming. And like, I think it was even before you even got to bones, I started laughing because it's like, because I could see even the wheels in your head turning like, how many more steps do I go before I get to bones? Where do bones come in? And it was like, there was so much like unspoken, I could just sort of see, like I couldn't keep it together. And also I think like seeing you starting to like giggle even before yes. you got to bones, just like, this is stupid, <laughs> this is great. <laughs> I can't believe, I broke twice in this game, which I, that is unfucking acceptable I made myself cry when Jason the spider told his mom that he was gonna come uh, that he that she was not gonna fight alone which really fucked me any anything where someone is trying to go off on their own and their family is like you're not you're never alone we're always with you fucks me up. Uh, uh, and then the other time I broke was fucking Avanash at some point. I forget what it was he was saying, but it there was... was you yeah. forget? <laughs> I do. He had one thing. <laughs> I do think it was that moment. I think it was the moment where it's, it's like, yeah, you know, you gotta smelt down some metal, you gotta like build a mold, of course we're doing that. Gotta get some decorative jewels, and then... Um, <laughs> like, you, like, see, it's like, you're getting the bones, you're, get, you're winding up for bones. Uh, yeah. We, we were talking before, before the pod about that, and I was like, I remember in the, obviously as an improviser being like, yeah, this guy's crazy. But when you were like, as Soak Bar, you're like, guys, can we not listen to this guy? He sounds like insane. I'm like, it's more fun to disagree and be like, I think we should go. Yeah. yeah. But here's you have to play the straight man. Yeah. Like the one but here's my favorite thing is that I love that Mike Trapp made a, yes. a lizard monster Shrek Hagrid. And you, but you can't, you know, you, you kept can, him Mike Trapp. You can, yeah. take, you can take the trap out of the straight man. Yeah. It's like, what are we doing here? The giant ogre, like, I, there were so many great soak bar straight man one-liners. Yes. Oh, both yeah. like, this guy's fucking crazy. Or like in the throne room when everyone was freaking out, Leland's gone totally catatonic. Maggie's just screaming, and so, so I think like Lilith tries to say something to like calm people down, and somewhere just goes like, oh, because did something crazy happen? Did something fucking insane happen? Oh God, oh, yeah, Avanash is great. Avanash, yeah. Uh, if I had to choose a different one, I mean, yeah, John Feathers can yes. get my number. If Samantha Eagles is is out of the picture, you call me, John. Okay. This is one of the few ships that we really haven't seen online. Uh, is is there like get to it, guys? Yeah. Get There's, to it. We've got Soap Bar Lilith, which I agree with. We've if, got we've got uh, Marcus Leland, which yeah. is a very popular ship. I, I, I was on board with that during the show. Yes. On board with that during the show. Yes. That's there's uh, and, and confirmed uh, confirmed Marcus as. Pan, if yes. He, so there's who knows there's there maybe a bright future on the horizon I for love Marcus it. and Leland, <laughs> but we've seen no Maggie John Feather. Excuse shipping. me, and maybe it's because you're respecting that he's in a relationship, and I appreciate that. <laughs> but there is a future in which him and Sam don't work out. Yeah. yeah. And I'm just saying, We're Maggie is single. Oh, I went shopping with a friend of mine. A friend, interesting. Yeah, I just went shopping with a friend. <laughs> <laughs> and that skin hat. Yeah, we kind of bought a whole outfit. Like I tried a bunch of things on. And who's we, who bought it? Whose credit card? No, it doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Interesting. Yeah. That bed's pretty big, John. <laughs> In that tower. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it is the eternal DM's curse that you know, this is this is the fucking Sam Smorkel situation of like I want to talk to Sam Smorkel. Who who are the beloved NPCs of Bloodkeep? Avanash, who you guys were never supposed to meet and was fully made up on the spot, and John Feathers, who let's be very clear was a figurine before he was a character. <laughs> <laughs> right? so, 
<laughs> the whole time that was happening, I was just like internally going, oh, buddy. Yeah. I, I feel you real hard right now on a deeply personal level. I would like to take him shopping. Yeah. Yeah. I would take him shopping. Fucking if he jumps on this eagle's back yes. and does diplomacy. Yes. And then, and then, yeah. So And everyone's like, what happened to Matthew Feathers? What happened to him? What happened? Then? Yeah, what happened to Matt Feathers? I love also the um, the decision to uh, give them the same surname but have them not be related. Yes. It's like, like, yeah, this is just a very, it's like it's a very common uh, last name. <laughs> very the, common last name. The, the, the world of the Eagles is like, the, the glimpses that we've gotten of it in, in Bloodkeep is like, this is suburbia. Like, like <laughs> the, the, the Eagles are just like, it's like, yeah, about like half of us with the last name Feathers. The rest of the name's like Beaks and Eagles. Eagles, and, birds. And we're, we're like, Wings. we're mostly just chilling. Like, <laughs> oh my God. Oh yeah, Carl Birds. Yeah, yeah I know yeah, Carl. Yeah, he's a great guy. He's a solid guy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh my God. Yes, those were uh, uh, so much fun. Did you have a favorite one, Matt? I was between Avanash and John Feathers. Yeah. Like, like uh, they're yeah. MVPs. Sorry, yeah. sorry, they're, bud. That's true. You know what? They're just <laughs> MVPs. What are you gonna no. do? Yeah. They. Uh, uh, it is. So, I don't know what the special fairy dust is on extemporaneous NPCs, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but man, do people go gonzo for them. And honestly, I'm here for it. I, I think part of that lends itself to the fact that when you build an NPC, you put a lot of thought generally into the narrative sense as to why they are the way they are. Yes. You're prepared. It's polished. When you're forced to make, especially if you have like a comedic background, when you're forced to make something up on the spot, you tend to make very strange choices. Yes. Yeah, because I, I, yeah, I do think that some of it is the, it is like the subversion of expectations. You know, yes. it's like, it's like in Fantasy High, like Jawbone became like super popular. And I think part of that is because it's like, this is like a werewolf that was previously trying to kill you who's hanging out in like a really seedy club and then it's just and then like it became like a fun character when it was like oh geez what am I doing with my life ah fuck I gotta go figure this out and it's like now I want to know more about that (laughs) tell me more about that it's just a glimpse yeah like when John Feathers is is just sort of like I feel like I want people clothes. You know, yeah, <laughs> it's like, I know. Like, it's like, it in so like all right, now I have to know I think more. The <laughs> moment you also name him John Feathers, I'm like, that's a relatable name to me. <laughs> What's your deal? Well, yeah. it's very yeah, having to come up with because there are things like Ips Cakes was made very carefully and fucking like Olog was made like this is going to be this guy's game. He yeah. wants to die. And Olog was great too. Don't yes, I love he's, Olog. Hobart and Fraud. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. But it's just it's just very like planned. It's like fits into the world. It's a little bit more of a piece. How do you make it up on the fly? I'm, I'm like, oh God, what's a funny thing for an eagle to be? And your brain goes like, in the in the cameras are rolling, you're just like, totally normal. Grown man. Grown man, John. I would like a suit. Uh, all right, last one we're going to be able to get to today. Uh, this one's from Rain Solo. Thank you, Rain Solo. Thank you. Um, with the story, per- with the story pushing this urgency to act quickly, it seems like a long rest is slash was unlikely in this campaign. How did the lack of long rests affect balancing and player action? So I think there's a mechanical question here, which is interesting. Uh, and there's also a narrative question here that was interesting because this is this was like a feature length film. It was not like it, it didn't have the feeling that like Fantasy High had or other campaigns have, where there is like they're episodic. This was like Die Hard. It's like the towers coming down. You know. Yeah. Um, uh, so what do you guys think? 
I mean, I can't speak to the mechanical stuff uh, uh, a lot, and and even like going into it when it was first, someone's like, "Cool, like you can take like a, a short rest." And it's like I don't know how this works, you know. <laughs> um, yeah. um, but I think from uh, it was very, it was actually like really fun for me to kind of go like, "Hey, like these are the resources you have, like." There's like whatever you have, cool. If you've got a mystery potion, you better fucking yeah. use that mystery potion before it's over. And and like and if you're hurt, like you're gonna keep being hurt. Uh, and like that knowledge of just like whatever resources you have for good or for ill, like you just have them. And that that put like a, a really like hard cap on it that made it actually like a lot of fun to be like, because uh, even, even if you got through like one battle. And it was like, you know, the first battle comes up, it's like, I'm probably not gonna die in this first battle. Like, that makes sense. Like, we got we got places to go. But knowing that, like, but the, the uh, uh, ramifications of this battle, like, the mm -hmm. damage I'm gonna take, like, that's gonna keep carrying over. So, like, it's just gonna get harder and harder and harder. You're gonna keep getting beaten down. And that, like, that felt like a fun structure to me. Yeah, absolutely. Um, was there a moment where you guys realized that I, I think I hinted a little bit in terms of resource conservation. Was there a moment when you guys realized, like, oh, we're not getting a long rest? I think when we had when we had landed well, honestly it was when you began to describe the keep falling apart gotcha yeah you would set you would set a narrative timer early on that there was there was there was an essence of a ticking clock to at what point everything came down essentially mm -hmm. and it, that really clicked in for me especially after we fell from the ship yeah and landed in the waste because it was like we were far away we all were just beat to shit mm -hmm. and we knew that we didn't have much time yeah and and you know especially as a as a warlock who very much requires short rests uh you know it was just like all right cons conserve <laughs> best i can yeah. Uh, oh boy, let's just hope. Well, you know for sure. I mean, like at least with with Leland, the only thing you were burning were those Mystic Arcanum. Yeah. Um, uh, but for I like for for Amy and Erica, their spells that they cast don't come back. Yeah. Like so, it was. I think it was very. There were a lot of very intense decisions that needed to get made. Um, but I think you guys did really well with them, and I think that it did have that drag on you guys of like. You want to feel like that. I keep saying Die Hard, but it is that thing of like John McClane having the glass in his feet. You want to feel like by the final combat, like, okay, we're like dragging into this. Yeah. Like, let's go. Let's make yeah. it happen. Which I think helps with like, if since we were so such like high powered characters, it was sort of like, yeah, like there's you're not just going to be like cool, have this boss fight, and then you get to like you know you know take a day at the spa and feel okay again. It's like mm -hmm. no, 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 no. This is all these fights are kind of one big fight. You know? mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Um, guys, what a joy. We're all out of time. Uh, uh, guys, this has been our roundup for Escape from the Blood Keep. Big thanks to my guests, Areka, Mike, and Matt. Thank you so much. We'll catch you guys next time. This has been a Dropout Podcast. For video of today's show, plus more exclusive series, go to dropout.tv.